Hi, everybody. This is Jimmy DeYoung. Welcome to Prophecy Today. I'm broadcasting from the Mount of Olives in the city of Jerusalem. What a thrilling opportunity this for us to do the broadcast from right here in the Holy City. From my vantage point here in my hotel room, I can see the Temple Mount, that gold-domed building, the Dome of the Rock, where the next temple is going to stand, where the last two temples stood. Jim Jr. and his wife Jill have been traveling with our tour group all over the countryside. In fact, Jim is going to be with me briefly, but they're going to go to Petra today, have an opportunity to take these people into the one of the seven wonders of the world. They're having a great time. We'd love to have you come and go on a tour with us sometime. Go to our website, prophecytoday.com. Joshua Travel, you can find out all the information, the itinerary, the time of the year we're going, the cost, etc. Well, we have many of our broadcast partners standing by. We'll be going to Rob Congdon. He is in the British Isles. We'll go into Washington, D.C. in just a moment for Ken Timmerman. Going over to Virginia, talk with Dr. Elwood McQuaid. Dr. McQuaid has written an article for the Jerusalem Post. It's entitled, Will Somebody Say Holy War? We're going to talk about the potential for holy war here in the Middle East. And we'll be having an opportunity to talk with David Dolan with our Middle East News Update. But Ken, let's get right into the action with you, my dear friend. There is a report that I see coming out of Washington, D.C., that the Iranian sanctions have failed. Now, what are your thoughts? What do you know about this situation? Well, uh, look, the, the members of Congress have asked the Congressional Research Service to take a look at the impact of uh, the Iran sanctions on the regime and the regime's thinking. Remember that uh, the sanctions were put in place not to punish the Iranian people, uh, but to change the behavior of the regime, to change their calculus when it came to nuclear weapons. And I've got to say, Jimmy, I've said many, many times before, including right on this show with you, uh, that I never believed that sanctions would have that effect. They would never change the behavior of the regime. And now, finally, we have an official report from the Congressional Research Service concluding precisely that. In other words, uh, the Ayatollah, Ahmadinejad and the military leaders and the Revolutionary Guards are not slowing down their nuclear weapons program as a result of sanctions. They're speeding it up. So in a perverse way, uh, sanctions, which make Obama feel good and make some of the European countries feel good, uh, are having exactly the opposite effect that, uh, than they were intended to have. Well, now, Ken, if indeed they're not working right now, is there any use in trying to intensify or make these sanctions tougher? Can you ultimately come to a, a, the conclusion you want to by toughening up the sanctions, or are they just a waste of time? Well, the sanctions are not a waste of time in and of themselves because they focus international attention on Iran and the uh, weapons program of the Islamic uh, Republic there. Uh, so from that point of view, they're very helpful. Um, will the sanctions motivate the Iranian people to rise up against the regime? That's something else that uh, leaders in Israel are hoping and, and, and uh, some people are hoping will happen. But I believe that we here in the United States need to change our policy. I've been calling for this as a candidate for Congress. Uh, when I'm elected to Congress in November, I will go next year uh, to the House of Representatives and work to change our policy so we help the people of Iran to get rid of the regime, because that ultimately is the only thing that will help us. That's the only thing that will stop uh, this 
um, uh, nuclear weapons program, which is very close to succeeding now in Tehran. Uh, talk to me, if you will, Ken, about uh, the Iranian drone situation. Last week, Hezbollah sent a drone over the airspace into Israel. An Israeli Defense Force F-16 took it out of the air. Uh, but now Iran is coming out and making the statement. They put a number of their drones over Israeli airspace, and they are now also indicating that they have got a, a drone, a manless operated vehicle, aircraft, that can carry a bomb. Now, this is a new development and sounds pretty dangerous. Well, uh, and, and it's not unusual. I mean, uh, look, we, we uh, in the United States pioneered that technology, uh, and uh, we're, we're initially intending to use it against Osama bin Laden in 1999, but uh, the Clinton administration pulled the plug on that. Uh, the first armed drones were used by the CIA in the war in Afghanistan uh, in 2001. Um, really, Jimmy, it was just a matter of time before the Iranians figured out to, how to do this, or before they imported the technology. You know, there, there are reports that the drones that they're using uh, were actually purchased directly from Germany. Uh, and I've got to say, that would not surprise me. Uh, the German government has a long, long history of being very lax on export controls, and despite all of their efforts over the years and their protests over the years that they were getting things together, um, you know, if this, is, if this report turns out to be true, it'll be yet another example of failed German export controls uh, to countries such as Iran. I have also got to talk to you about the EMP possibilities. Here in Israel, of course, there's been a concern about the nuclear-powered Iranian military bringing to Israel a a, some type of a nuclear weapon on one of their Shahab-3 missiles, their long-range missiles. Now, that would be a possibility. But uh, there is also a report that is a pretty solid information coming from a reliable source that the electronic magnetic pulse, that EMP attack, is now possible over Israel, over the United States, over the European Union, all over the entire Middle East. Now, this is another development that should be concerning to all of us. Well, I agree in, in, in completely on that, and, and I've also written about this in the past, uh, and when elected to Congress, I will work to make sure that we defend our electric grid in the United States against EMP attack or a massive solar uh, flare, which uh, could have the same effect. Uh, the Iranians first tested launching a uh, missile from a barge, from a ship, in other words, uh, in 1998. So we know that they've been working on putting... Um, their uh, shorter-range missiles on board ships to launch them, whether it's off the coast of Europe or off the coast of the United States. They do not need an ICBM to hit the United States. Uh, but they are also capable of using their current-generation missiles, the Shahab-3s that you just mentioned, to hit Israel directly. Uh, and instead of hitting uh, the Israeli territory, uh, they could do massive damage to Israel's infrastructure and to Israel's uh, capacity to rebuild itself by uh, taking out the electric power grid with an EMP attack. What this is, Jimmy, is a, a missile with a nuclear warhead that is uh, exploded something like 200 to 400 kilometers up in the atmosphere over, over the Earth. So there's no immediate fallout. There are no immediate casualties on the ground. Uh, there's no immediate um, impact. Uh, you know, there's no explosion down here on Earth. But the shock waves, the electromagnetic uh, pulse waves that, go, uh, that are given off by this explosion, 
uh, will knock out electric power generators, will fry everything that is made that has a silicone chip in it, and will have a devastating impact on the economy. And this is clearly something that the Iranians have been testing. They have tested their missiles in an EMP trajectory, which means that they were, you know, exploding them high above the earth rather than having them reach a target on the ground. The, the survivalists have an acronym for it. They call it Tetawaki, the end of the world as we know it. Well, uh, I'm going to talk with David Dolan a bit more about this next issue that I want to discuss with you, but I thought I would bring it into your bailiwick of geopolitical activities also. Uh, they're reporting that the largest United States Israeli missile defense drill, a military exercise, going to kick off the first of the week. Uh, this is uh, telling the Middle East something, at least, that there is cooperation between Israel and the United States, is it not? Well, there is still cooperation between Israel and the United States, but the president, uh, uh, Obama, President Obama, uh, has also tried to put as much distance as possible between himself and Israel's leaders. Uh, we have uh, regularly had missile defense drills uh, with uh, Israel. The United States has a great deal of cooperation on missile t- defense with Israel. Uh, the United States Congress, uh, without, by the way, the support of my opponent, Chris Van Hollen, here in Maryland, voted to help build the Iron Dome system, uh, funded that with $685 million of U.S. taxpayer money. I think that's a very positive program, something that is very necessary to do. Um, uh, Israel has got tremendous technology that they've developed, both for David Sling and, and in the Arrow program and in Iron Dome, uh, and uh, the United States benefits from that technology. So that taxpayer investment from Americans uh, does have a direct payoff for us, and I think this is a, a, a positive gesture and something that ought to show the Iranians uh, that they uh, cannot attack Israel as easily as they might hope for in their jihadi dreams. Ken, let me just talk to you about one more issue, if you will. And this is in your bailiwick, I'm absolutely convinced. Iran's Gestapo is rounding up Christians. Now, this is just what's taking place in Iraq, over in Egypt, throughout the entire Middle East. Persecution of Christians, I guess, is the mainstay for the Islamic mainstream operators And uh, Iran has put their Gestapo to work to round up all the Christians. What are your thoughts? Well, uh, this week uh, there were these roundups of several hundred Christians, apparently, uh, from the house church movement inside Iran, which is pretty extensive. Um, You know, it makes you sick at heart uh, to hear this kind of news, and yet you you know that uh, this is just uh, what uh, Islamic government does. Uh, they try to round up Christians. They try to wipe Israel off the map. That's what the Iranian government, the Islamic government in Iran, has said that it wants to do. Um, I think we need to pray for the Christians who are now uh, prisoners of Christ in Iran, pray for their courage, for their steadfastness, uh, pray to open the hearts of Christians around the world to come to their aid and to bring their plight uh, to the airwaves, as you're doing right now, Jimmy. I, I applaud you for mentioning this. It's tremendously important. Ahmadinejad said early on when he took office in 2005 that he would wipe out the house church movement in Iran, and this is just another cynical gesture uh, in that direction. It is certainly that, indeed. Ken Timmerman, the man who covers geopolitical activities for us in the Washington, D.C. area. Thank you, my good friend, and we'll talk again real soon. Thank you so much as well. God bless you. 
We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to be talking with David Dolan. He'll give us a Middle East news update right here on Prophecy Today. In today's world, a biblical worldview and a proper understanding of biblical prophecy should be a priority. At a time when many false doctrines are entering the church at a frightening pace, we must be able to rightly divide God's Word in order to live a pure and productive life for Him. If you would like an in-depth understanding of biblical prophecy, let me challenge you to consider Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's School of Prophets. The School of Prophets is an online study for the layman or student pursuing a master's or doctorate degree. Dr. DeYoung's online study program will allow you to develop a timeline of biblical prophecies of the past as well as future prophecies yet to be fulfilled. Your personal study of God's Word will only be enhanced by Dr. DeYoung's School of Prophets and your life will be changed as you better understand, like Daniel, where you fit into God's calendar of events. If you're interested in developing a deeper understanding of God's prophetic Word, let me personally invite you to become involved in Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's School of Prophets. Call today at 8-PROPHECY-8. That's 877-674-3298. Or visit us at schoolofprophets.org. The book of Revelation is God's final word to man and the timeline of the last days revealed to the Christians. This symbolism-filled example of apocalyptic literature can be difficult to understand, especially when simply reading it from beginning to end. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest book, Revelation, A Chronology, takes a walk through the prophetic book of Revelation in the order that the events will take place, chronologically, sharing insights into its true meaning and doing so in an easy to understand and practical way. If you have difficulty understanding the book of Revelation, get your copy of Revelation, A Chronology, and let Dr. Jimmy DeYoung aid you in your understanding of this profound end times prophecy book that God has preserved in his scriptures for Christians in the last days. To order your copy of Jimmy DeYoung's Revelation, A Chronology, call us toll free at 877-674-3298 or visit our website at prophecytoday.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. Jimmy DeYoung here on the Mount of Olives in the city of Jerusalem. Now, something seems strange. Normally, we catch David Dolan, the man who gives us our Middle East news update. We catch him here in Jerusalem. Uh, But uh, he is in the United States. He has a couple of speaking engagements, so he's there to take care of that. I'm here in Jerusalem. But I know that David Dolan is a credentialed and longtime veteran journalist. And this man, I could call him at three o'clock in the morning, wherever he is around the world and ask him about what's going on in Jerusalem. He could give us the information. David, I guess the big headline here in Israel is that uh, there are already now about a thousand U.S. soldiers on the ground, their boots on the ground here in Israel. There'll be about 2,000 throughout all of the European Union. And the Israeli Defense Force is going to put up about 3,000 soldiers. They're going to be involved in the largest ever missile defense military exercise that's ever been held uh, by Israel and by the United States. Uh, What are your thoughts? What does this mean? Are they trying to give a signal to their neighbors of the Jewish nation of Israel? Or is this just a normal thing? I do believe it was delayed or postponed early on this year. What's going on? What do you think about this? It was delayed, Jimmy, and at first there was uh, some discussion of whether this was due to tensions between Israeli Prime Minister Netanyahu and uh, President Obama in the United States. 
Um, but as you said, it was rescheduled, and it is a very significant um, military exercise, as you say, the largest anti-missile exercise um, ever staged, and clearly uh, it's in response to um, the Iranian uh, missile threat, uh, the Syrian missile uh, arsenal, uh, even more to the point, Hezbollah's large rocket arsenal, and of course that Hezbollah drone uh, that flew into Israel earlier this month uh, was said to be airborne for three hours and was shot down right close to the Dimona nuclear reactor, a reactor that Iran says all the time will be destroyed if there's any conflict between uh, Israel and Iran. They say even if the U.S. were to do something against them without Israel, they would still strike back at that reactor. So the missile threat, particularly from Syria and its main ally, Hezbollah, is a very grave one. Um, the Israelis have been preparing, I, uh, you and I have talked about it many times, preparing for years now for a scenario of a massive uh, rocket missile blitz upon the country. We've had forewarnings of that, or I should say foretastes of that, in the uh, Hamas uh, uh, blitzes from the Gaza Strip. We had that again earlier this month, of 50 rockets in one day alone, raining down on Israeli cities and towns. So this is the gravest threat facing uh, the Israeli population, the Israeli uh, government, and certainly even the existence of the country, uh, uh, if, if indeed non-conventional weapons were on any of those rockets or missiles. And that, of course, is what the Israelis are are worried is uh, going to happen with Iran's nuclear program. So this defense says to the Iranians, we are, this exercise, we are standing with Israel. President Obama has said that verbally, but this is a much more concrete way of demonstrating that there is that alliance and that if uh, Iran or Hezbollah dares to use non-conventional weapons or even just a major massive missile blitz with conventional weapons upon Israeli cities and towns, civilian centers, that the United States and some of its allies will be around to uh, help respond to that. Well, and you brought to our attention the fact that Hezbollah sent a drone into the airspace of Israel, and as you mentioned, a couple of hours up there before it was taken out. Meanwhile, the Iranians, who are the sponsors for Hezbollah, say that they have sent a number of these drones into the airspace, but now they're making the statement they have a drone capable of delivering some type of a bomb. They didn't say a nuclear bomb necessarily, but uh, this is uh, pretty concerning news as well. It is, and uh, we've known for some years that, uh, that these pilotless drones are capable of dropping accurate uh, bombs on their targets. Uh, why do we know that? Because we've done that. The United States has done that in Afghanistan in particular, but also some in Iraq. Uh, other countries have also developed this capability. So yes, if, um, if for instance, a uh, chemical uh, uh, warhead were placed on one of these drones uh, and it was able to fly into Tel Aviv, and of course this uh, Hezbollah drone, and Hezbollah did take a responsibility for that um, drone, and uh, Iran uh, built the drone. That was clear when Israeli, Israeli experts examined it, um, that a chemical weapon could fall on Tel Aviv, be dropped on Tel Aviv. And this drone came in from the Mediterranean uh, Sea, apparently, and came into southern Israel not far from Tel Aviv. So that is a real worry, a real concern. And it's real difficult, Jimmy, to seal tight all of your borders, any country uh, uh, doing this, because uh, these are small, light aircraft. They can fly fairly high and uh, not so easy to detect. And apparently it took 
some time for this one to be detected. And as you say, the Iranians are boasting about that, say they do this all the time, which the Israelis say is ridiculous, that, that hasn't, this hasn't occurred before, but it shows that it can occur again and uh, is a very worrisome development for the Israelis. Now, we've mentioned Hezbollah and the drone they sent into the airspace over Israel. United Nations making some statements, the Secretary General, that this is really threatening the peace efforts here in the Middle East, and he castigated Hezbollah for sending that drone in. Is he going to be able to have any type of influence on Hezbollah, or could they continue this type of activity? Well, Jimmy, it's the, it's the same alliance we've had for many years now, Iran, Syria, the Assad regime in Syria, and uh, Hezbollah in Lebanon, working hand-in-glove, um, uh, Hezbollah getting its money and its weapons from both Iran and Syria over the years, uh, a huge uh, arsenal, and uh, they now control, uh, I think it's 21 out of the 30 cabinet seats in Lebanon. So Hezbollah effectively rules the country of Lebanon, even though there's, uh, the Shiites are a minority there, when you put together the Maronite Catholics and the Sunni Muslims, they're about 60% together. Uh, nevertheless, Hezbollah has maneuvered themselves with Syrian aid and Iranian aid into becoming this major power. And the Israelis have been making clear, a statement was made again after this drone was shot down, that, um, that the Israeli uh, army, the government and army, will consider the Lebanese government to be a legitimate target of attack, counterattack, if there's any rockets fired, major rockets fired into Israel or something uh, along the lines of the 2006 war. Well, there is a report here that Hezbollah is part of Bashar Assad's killing machine there in Syria, and that is not a good development at all. No, we know for sure there's, there's clear evidence that Hezbollah fighters are on the ground, have been helping Iranian uh, Revolutionary Guards uh, to set up these um, pro-Assad militias. These are basically brown shirts like Hitler had. These are thugs. They go in and do the real nasty, dirty stuff that the uh, official army and security forces can't uh, as easily get away with. So um, these two uh, Shiite uh, powers are playing a great role in bolstering Assad with the backing of the uh, Soviet, of the Russians, uh, to a certain extent at least, and, and China. And so, uh, as has been warned uh, by many, we have the makings of a potential not only regional war, but even a world a conflict uh, with all the consequences that implies. David, here in Israel, there is a report that in the Gaza Strip, uh, they, some of the militants were able to gather together a ground-to-air missile that they had received by delivery from Libya. Many people were concerned when Colonel Gaddafi was taken out. What about his arsenal of weapons? Looks like some of those weapons coming into the Gaza Strip, and it looks like indeed they are using uh, these weapons to try to deal with uh, the uh, Israelis using ground-to-air missiles. Well, that's the Russian-made Strela uh, uh, anti-aircraft missile, Jimmy, and it's uh, a very sophisticated one. Uh, certainly, we've never seen anything like that before from the Gaza Strip. We've had some shoulder-fired missiles, which are also powerful, but not, uh, not nearly as accurate as this one. And what, what it really does uh, for the Israeli military planners is open up the question, what else has been smuggled into Gaza from uh, Libya. They know that these, uh, the, in Benghazi, where we had the attack on our consulate, 
that, um, that, that there were major weapons uh, stores that uh, Gaddafi had that have been looted. We know that a lot of that stuff is missing, and it's pretty easy for Bedouins to smuggle that stuff across northern Egypt, uh, right along the coast and into the Gaza Strip uh, by both sea and by these underground tunnels. And the question is, again, what else do they have? Do they have uh, massive weapon arsenals now? We wouldn't know unless there's a full-scale war, but the fact that they use that Strela in a non-full combat situation indicates that they don't, they're not worried about giving their hand away, that they have some of these things, and they have been warning that they have weapons that haven't been seen before from their side. So uh, the Israelis know if they have to go back into Gaza, it's going to be a much more bitter, probably more deadly fight for Israel uh, than it was in 2008 and 2009 when they last did that. David Dolan with our Middle East News Update. Thank you so very much, David, for updating us on the activities going on in the Middle East. We'll talk again real soon. Thank you, Jimmy. Don't call me at 3 a.m. <laughs> I'll try not to do that. Thank you very much, David. And we're going to take a break here on Prophecy Today. When we come back, I'm going to be talking with Dr. Elwood McQuaid. The question is, will somebody say holy war? He's going to be talking about the potential for holy war here in the Middle East. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Have you ever wanted to know more about God's plan for the future? Have you ever tried to understand prophetic passages in God's Word, like, say, the book of Revelation, and been frustrated at not being able to figure it out? Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest CD series, Keys for Unlocking God's Plan for the Future, will help you gain the ability to understand where to start in your study of prophecy and allow you to read God's Word in a new and exciting way. Understanding God's prophetic Word will allow you to live a pure and productive life until Jesus returns for the church. Keys will help you gain the tools you need to understand the end-time events as foretold in God's Word. Dr. DeYoung lays out a systematic approach to Bible prophecy for those who want to know God's plan for the future. Tracks included are A Roadmap Through the End Times, The Jew in Jerusalem, Daniel and the Antichrist, Ezekiel and Messiah's Temple, and Revelation and Babylon. To order your copy of Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's Keys for Unlocking God's Plan for the Future, visit our website at prophecytoday.com. Hi everybody, Jimmy DeYoung, welcome back to Prophecy Today. As we go into our second half hour, we have a good friend, longtime friend, very knowledgeable of Bible prophecy, very knowledgeable of the Jewish people and the state of Israel, Dr. Elwood McQuaid is going to be talking with us. We're here on the Mount of Olives in Jerusalem. From my hotel, my vantage is that Dome of the Rock and, of course, uh, the Kidron Valley and the Mount of Olives itself, where Jesus Christ departed from and is coming back. I know I'm talking a lot about that on the broadcast. I'm trying to encourage you to come along and sometime come to Israel with us. Coming to Israel is like walking onto a stage where the actors have recently departed, but all the props are still in place. So love to have you come and join us on one of our trips. Jim Jr. has been doing a great job. He and his wife, Jill, took charge of everything. We had to do some uh, citywide conferences with Worldview Weekend and Brandon House. We were there, had a fantastic time last weekend over in Wichita, Kansas on Friday night. Then we flew over to Des Moines, Iowa, Saturday night, and into Minneapolis-St. Paul on Sunday night. Boy, the place there, the ballroom located there at uh, one of the great hotels 
uh, just had itself packed to the hilt. I mean, uh, people standing in the aisles on the side, down in the back, uh, just to study the Word of God with us. So we had a great weekend. But then we got on an airplane. We flew into Israel. Uh, we're here in Jerusalem right now. And I, I'm kind of uh, trying to make Elwood feel a little bit jealous of me because he has been bringing tours to Israel for I don't know how many years. I mean, you know, he's about 105 years old, so I don't know how long he's been doing it. Elwood, how many years have you been coming to Israel? I came to Israel first in 1970, Jimmy, and uh, back and forth and back and forth somewhere around 50 years, 50 times. Wow. And I stopped wow. counting. And I'm all, I'm all, have almost caught up to you now. And <laughs> time's coming over here. That's just about the truth. Yeah, but well, you're it, making me homesick today, Jimmy, and it isn't fair. I'm here uh, in Virginia, uh, and you're there in the center of the world, center of the universe. That is absolutely true. It is the center of the world, according to Ezekiel chapter 5 and yeah. verse 5. Well, Elwood, I wanted to get you on the phone, and let me tell you why. I wanted to talk with you on the broadcast today. I get here to Jerusalem, pick up the Jerusalem Post, and there's a big article by Dr. Elwood McQuaid, and it's entitled, Will Somebody Say Holy War? And it was one of those premium locations there in the Jerusalem Post, so I didn't have enough money to get in and read the entire article. So I decided I was going to cheat. I had to talk to the author of the article itself and find out what he was talking about. Now, I just uh, have done some broadcasts while we've been here in Jerusalem with some other networks, and we talked about uh, the leader of al-Qaeda, al-Sawari, who is calling for the Muslims to rise up to liberate Jerusalem so they can put their caliphate here, a worldwide dominion in the Islamic world headquartered in the city of Jerusalem, want to liberate Jerusalem. He's actually calling for jihad, which is a holy war. Is that what you're talking about? Or give us what you're talking about in your article and give us the points dealing with this. Exactly what I'm talking about in the article, Jimmy. And I start off by the uh, uh, celebration in, in New York of uh, what is called American Muslim Day Parade. Uh, it took place on September the, uh, the uh, 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 27th, I believe it was. And uh, it's an annual affair, but it was not reported uh, in the press extensively. Now, here's what went on. Uh, there were shouts of Alalu Akbar. Uh, there were radical uh, spokespeople who stood on the podium there in New York City, near where the uh, trade towers went down. And one uh, speaker, a, a Muslim woman, was screaming, Jimmy, that we have the seeds of uh, of the martyrs in our in our wombs, and another uh, imam from uh, from Brooklyn stood and said that any talk uh, contrary to uh, Islam, any criticism of Islam, should be outlawed as an international crime, and uh, prosecuted there too. It was so it was so extreme that the New York State Senator, Tony Avella, who was a Democrat, he's a VIP uh, parade marshal and was scheduled to speak. He walked off in protest. Now, this is an extension in the United States of America of what's going on. 
And when you think about it, you think about what's going on worldwide. Here's what's happening. When the Arab Spring, so-called, that's come a, become a, 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 a horrific uh, winter for uh, people in the Middle East, took place, they were flying over Cairo, flying over Benghazi, uh, flying over uh, the, the embassy of the United States in Tunis and other places, a black flag, which is not the Palestinian flag, it's not the uh, flag that, uh, that Arabs usually march under, but it's the flag of, of conquest that is the emblem of a world domination, that is a holy war that's going to prevail the world over. And uh, Ahmadinejad, when he was in New York, and by the way, he was treated like a rock star uh, in uh, New York uh, in New York at the UN recently uh, by his uh, his uh, consorts there and people who adore him. And he said this, and this is what tips the the whole scale, Jim. And you're right there where it's all going to consummate. He said that uh, we, we that that it it will be not it will be soon that uh, the black flag of Islamic Jihad will be flying over cities the world over, not simply in the Middle East. And what he's actually saying is that one day the, the Muslim caliphate is going to be established worldwide, that the, uh, Messi- the Messianic Mahdi of Islam will be ruling over the world. And this is a holy war intended for ultimate conquest over the entire world. Well, one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the air to help those eavesdropping on this conversation to be able to put the dots together and really come to an understanding of what the Islamic world does want, bottom line. Let's uh, explain a couple of terms before we continue much farther. First of all, when you talk to anybody who is somewhat pro-Islamic, uh, you know, in favor of cooperating, et cetera, et cetera. They say, and in fact, some of the moderate Islamic peoples make this statement, that when you use the term jihad, that is simply interpreted as struggle, not necessarily a holy war. Would you agree or disagree with that? No, I disagree with that. It's it's fronting the, the term jihad used as you describe it, Jimmy means struggle, they say it's just an inner struggle. It's a struggle of personal purification, etc., etc., etc. But that's a cover for the real meaning of jihad. Jihad means holy war. That's exactly what it means. And it is a war of conquest. It is a war that uh, is fought on the battlefront. And there are two things going on. And this is one of the very, very important things that we're missing in our leadership, that we're missing with the average man and woman on the street. And that is this, that there are two methods of attacking opponents with jihad. One is conquest. It's the sword. It's what happened in in some of the places in the uh, Middle East with the so-called Arab Spring. The other is a conquest by infiltration. Yeah, and let me just remind everybody, Elwood McQuaid is talking about America. He's not talking about some country here in the Middle East, and that's what they're doing in America. You can imagine what they're doing here in their region of the world. 
You mentioned also Khalifat. Now that is, as I understand it, a worldwide dominion under the leadership of Allah and the Islamic forces, and meaning basically a kingdom. Yes, yes, a literal establishment of a... uh, It reminds me of the vision of the Nazis years ago uh, that uh, wanted to establish a Reich that would uh, last a thousand years, a millennial kind of Reich. Now, I'm not saying that Nazism and Islam are one and the same thing, but it illustrates the fact that they want to establish a, 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 a dominion, a kingdom that is literal and that will last uh, forever as far as, uh, as far as they're concerned. Jimmy, one thing that disturbs me greatly is that in this mix, all over the Middle East, all over places in Asia, and in many other parts of the world, Christians, people who believe in Jesus Christ, are being annihilated. I have on my desk a picture of a church, beautiful church, in flames, in Pakistan. Uh, The uh, destruction of a school where both Christian kids and Muslim kids uh, were, uh, were taught. And these churches that have been burning in Egypt and in other places and uh, throughout the Middle East. And when we talk about Islam being a religion of love and a religion of peace, why is it that thousands of Christian believers, people just like you and me, are being slaughtered in the name of Islam in so many parts of the world? And the amazing thing is that so few of our leaders, even in the evangelical world, Jimmy, are saying one word about it, and the leadership of the country, and the leadership in Europe, of course, they're not saying anything about it at all. It marks the difference. How many mosques are being burned? How many Muslims being attacked by Christians the world over? There's the comparison. You make up your mind about what, which religion is a religion of love, if you want to call Christianity a religion in broad terms, and uh, it's a sad state of affairs. And if we don't wake up soon, Jimmy, it's going to be a terrible time for a lot of people that we should be on our knees for and not uh, turning our back on. And this is not fading away. It's only intensifying, is it not, Elwood? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And it's, you know, Jimmy, that it's, it's moving toward, inexorably toward, a, a, a consummation. Uh, this can't continue to deteriorate as it is for, uh, for an endless amount of time. We are looking for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ to deliver us, and that's our hope. We hear a lot that these days we're in this political campaign about hope and about change and about, uh, about uh, forward and, and, and all of these sorts of things. The only hope and the only real change will come when Jesus Christ comes and changes it. And God takes control. Amen and amen on that. Dr. Elwood McQuaid, he's an author, a prolific author on issues like we're discussing today. He is the editor-in-chief of a fantastic magazine, Israel My Glory. And you can get a copy of that by going to foi.org. And they'll give you, I think, a six-month subscription to that. Oh, full year, Jimmy. We're generous people. Wow, that is very, very generous. Well, this would be a must magazine for you to subscribe to. 
it, it carries articles along these lines and keeps you abreast of really what's happening in our world. I just had to get a hold of Elwood because of the situation. And Elwood, I agree, somebody had better say holy war because that is exactly what we're seeing unfolding. You from afar have seen it. Me here on the spot where it's going to unfold, I can tell you the atmosphere here is in anticipation of exactly what you're talking about. Elwood, thank you so very much for joining us. Appreciate it. Good to talk to you again. We'll have to talk more often. We'll do that real soon. Thanks, Jimmy. Very, very interesting conversation with Dr. Elwood McQuaid. Somebody say holy war. It's an article written by Elwood. It's a feature article in the Jerusalem Post. Read it when we got here and wanted to talk to him about it. Well, let's uh, go to another part of our world where we need to have some conversation with Dr. Rob Congdon. We find him in England. You're in the British Isles there. Where are you today? Where do I find you now, Rob? Okay, I'm in the northeast corner of England in the city of Sunderland. used to be the great shipyards of England, and now it's just uh, uh, they build autos. Now, you've been there in that part of the world for about eight or nine days, have you not, holding uh, meetings and teaching Bible prophecy? That's right. I began in the south of England and have moved my way up here now to the north with different meetings along the way. So I've been through much of England this week. Well, we've just arrived here in Jerusalem ourselves, and uh, it's exciting to be out of the United States on the ground in the areas that we pay much attention to with our broadcast partners. And I'm so glad we could catch you before you made your way back to the United States. By the way, have Journey's Mercies going back. I want to find out about the meetings in just a moment. But Rob, I got here into Israel. Prime Minister Netanyahu has been praising the European Union for building up their sanctions against Iran. He says they have made great advances. He doesn't believe the European Union has gone far enough, but he said that he is praising the leadership of the European Union on strengthening these sanctions against Iran. What is happening there? Why have they done that? Talk to me about this story from the perspective of the European Union itself. All right. I would say that, first of all, the European Union heard Netanyahu's speech in the U.N. It has impressed everybody over here. Uh, they recognize the danger, so they have taken for them very strong sanctions now, ones that are very effective in areas that were really providing money from the European Union to Iran. So the reason they're doing this is they're recognizing time is running out, and Diplomacy is their prime tool, and so they have taken actually an unusually strong step because they don't want to get to the military option. And so, therefore, um, as I said, they've taken very strong sanctions in quite a number of industries that we don't tend to think of. They're just, in fact, it's hard to even remember what ones they are. But it is to really have a financial impact to Iran and its banking system. Well, is this going to be effective? I mean, is that what the leadership of the European Union thinks will happen? Catherine Ashton, who is in charge of foreign policy for the EU, does she believe this is going to work, or is it just another step of futility? No, they believe this will be the the final uh, effort that will be sufficient to accomplish the goal and stop the 
the, the, the move forward that Iran is taking. Um, there is full confidence from their viewpoint that the economic pressure will get through to the government uh, with possible elections and things like that. So they are confident. This isn't just a, a token step. It isn't just a uh, saying, well, okay, so we can say we did it. They, this is their great hope. This is what they really believe will do it. Talk to me about the people in the street, Rob. You've talked with the pastors. You've talked with church members. I'm sure you've been able to talk with some of the people in the street, actually. What are they thinking about Iran? Uh, Is the European Union, the citizens of the EU, are they concerned about Iran and a possible strike on that region? I think what I would say is they feel and think, and they are aware of it about as much as the average American is on the street. Uh, Many of them are much more concerned here about football, which we call soccer in the U.S., and about some major matches that have occurred these last several days. So I would say that uh, the average person, it isn't a big issue, only unless you bring it up to them. Then they express some concern. Among Christians, there is a much greater awareness of it, and they do believe it is a serious danger. And always remember, Europe Britain is a lot closer to Iran than the United States. So there is concern among those who follow the news carefully, and therefore it's much stronger with them. I know that uh, everybody in the world is focused on the United States for the upcoming presidential elections, and uh, they want to know exactly which direction America is going to go. Are they going to continue the same as the last four years, or will there be an actual change and with a new president in the White House, America doing something different. What about the European Union? What about the people of Europe? Are they watching the U.S. elections closely at all? And if they are, what are their concerns? Okay, That's actually the first question I get asked when we're sitting down to eat or just casually talk. Uh, They really want to know what's happening from their viewpoint. They believe that President Obama is going to win and it's not even going to be close. That's all their press has been saying. However, today, following the debate and and really leading up to it, the press has started pointing out, and in today's reports that I have watched and talking to people who've watched other news and checked it, they suddenly feel there's been a turnaround. So they're anxious to see it. They're not quite clear what difference it makes but they are watching it very closely. Now, I need to know because uh, I've heard over the years that what happens in Europe jumps the Atlantic Ocean and comes to America. And I want you to talk to me about the state of the British church. You're there in the churches. You're speaking. You're focusing on Bible prophecy. Uh, Give me your opinion of how the church is receiving, number one, your message and the reality of what the Bible says about the end times, but overall general look at the British church itself. Is it standing for anything or falling for everything? All right, and speaking of the British church, I'm going to speak on what I would call the equivalent of the churches that I would be in the U.S., that is Bible-believing, Bible-teaching churches. We have found the rooms to be filled with the people. Uh, In fact, we ran out of seats last night, which was very (laughs) encouraging. They want to learn. They want to be taught. They want to understand the Bible indications about prophecy and how that relates possibly to today's world events. Uh, I find strong interest in that in those in the Bible believing. As we kind of step out of the big areas like a London, uh, you find the average church is quite small. 
the churches we are in are somewhat exceptions, maybe 100 people, but typically they're around 20. But these churches I've been to this last week, have we've, they normally have about 100 people, mostly uh, 40 and older in age, very much aware of everything that's going on, very much involved. But what I have found is they may be smaller than we're sort of used to in the United States, but if you have 20, 40, 100 people, they'll almost all will be not only Christians, but really committed Christians who understand what it is to be a Christian in today's world. So they're an encouraging bunch in that sense, but outside of that church, uh, the spirituality is not there in the towns, and that it is dead. Do you see young people at all in any of the churches, or have the young people gone their own worldly way? Uh, in many churches, that's exactly true. They've gone their own way. In the churches that I've been in, and, and I'm saying this, I have been in what I consider the exceptional churches, the very unique ones that are really walking together and holding together. We do have some younger couples and younger people in them. Most cases, though, they are either students studying in the local universities and have come here from somewhere else, even some from America, or they are children who have now grown up, but their parents attend the church, and they grew up in that church. Um, I haven't seen a whole lot being brought in from outside, if you will, of the family relationships, uh, even in many of these churches I've been to. I wanted to get the heartbeat of uh, the body of Christ in Great Britain especially. Rob has lived in the European Union for a number of years. He travels back and forth on a steady basis every year now. And he's been over there for more than a week, and he's been teaching in churches, teaching the prophetic passages of God's Word. I wanted to talk to you about some political things, Rob. We'll do that when we get back next week together as you come back to the United States. But I just, while you were in the country, I wanted to see the heartbeat of some of these concerns about U.S. elections, about Iran, about how the church is going, et cetera, et cetera. So thank you for being so informative to us and sharing with us some of your ministry opportunities that you've had there. Have a Journey's Mercies coming back, and we'll talk again next week, Rob. Well, we'll look forward to it, and thank you for the opportunity to share these things we're hearing. Among Christians, they are more committed here than many I meet throughout the world. This is encouraging. Lord bless. You know, that is encouraging information, Rob, about the body of Christ in Great Britain, who are really dedicated to teaching the Word of God after they learn the Word of God. We praise the Lord for your ministry with these Christians there in the British Isles. Well, here's Jim Jr. He has been here in Israel for about a week and a half now. He's been leading with his wife, Jill, the tour, and we were able to get in for the last couple of days, spend some time with a prophecy Q&A. In fact, we pre-recorded that, and that's going to be our next segment. We're going to have the people that were on the tour ask us their prophecy question. You'll be able to eavesdrop on that. Jim produced it, and we'll have it upcoming next. But Jim, talk to me about the tour. You have people from all over the countryside, a number of pastors. One man brought, I think, two or three pastors, some missionaries. That was a great experience for these ministers of the Word, wasn't it? 
Oh, Dad, it was fantastic. You know, we had people from Peoria, Illinois, all the way, and we had missionaries from Ghana, Bolivia, pastors, several pastors, like you said, on the trip. They, you know, for the first time, they're really being able to learn more about God's Word and be able to share it and preach it like, they will, like they've never had a chance to preach it before. Did you say that, uh, and when you were listing the names, Mongolia, is that, was there a, a missionary or something from Mongolia? Yes, sir. As a matter of fact, he's asked us to come to Mongolia to do a prophecy conference there. Okay, buddy. I hear you have to truck it up carrying your knapsacks and your backpacks and everything so you can go do that when I'll uh, stay in a five-star hotel someplace. Well, we've had a marvelous time just the few couple of hours that we've had with these people. Now, they're in Petra today, actually, and they're having an opportunity to see one of the seven wonders of the world. It's the location that the Lord has chosen uh, to protect the Jewish people uh, for that last three and a half years of the tribulation period. It's Petra. It comes from Revelation chapter 12 and verse 6. Jim, you're going to lead them in Petra. That's going to be a great time for the tour. Oh, Dad, just to explore some of the 25 square miles of that Red Rock City, it's unbelievable to just see what the Nabataeans had done 4,000 years ago. Well, that's going to be a marvelous time. Hey, you've heard us talk about the tour. We're going to do one in the spring. Jim Jr. and I are going to be leading that tour. We'd love to have you come and go along with us. If you'd like information, you can go to our website, prophecytoday.com, and there go to Joshua Travel. You get the dates, the price, the itinerary, everything you need to know about a tour. But we would love to have you come and join us. Walking in the land of the Bible is like walking onto a stage where the actors have recently departed, but all the props are still in place. It's just a a joy to your heart, and it's a great learning experience. Well, Jim has recorded Prophecy Q&A. We're going to have that upcoming in just a moment. I want to tell you, I'll take a look at the book and bring everything that we've talked about with our broadcast partners back together. That's at the bottom of the next half hour. But upcoming next, Prophecy Q&A. Keep the dial set where it is. You're listening to Prophecy Today. Hi, everybody. This is Jimmy DeYoung. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. We're operating here in Jerusalem, Israel, and we've been staying at the Dan Hotel. It is perched here on the Mount of Olives so that every one of us can see from someplace in the hotel the Temple Mount, which is, of course, highlighted by that five-story high Dome of the Rock, that gold-domed building, location where the first and second temples stood. We had a great time studying today, and we're going to have this time of prophecy Q&A in this segment of our broadcast from Jerusalem. We thought it'd be great. The tour group is all gathered around. We're in one of the rooms of the hotel. They're going to ask me prophecy questions. I'm going to endeavor to give them the answers from the Word of God. By the way, let me remind you, Jim Jr. has been leading the tour, doing an excellent job. Many people are really excited about having the opportunity to walk in the land where Jesus Christ ministered for those three and a half years before he went back to the heavenlies. And where we're perched here on the Mount of Olives, he returns to this location. And I don't believe it's going to be too far down the road before that happens. By the way, Jim Jr. does do a prophecy Q&A, and that's heard on Prophecy Today Radio. It's every Thursday at 7 p.m. East Coast time. Be sure to tune him in. Now, most of the time, Jimmy asks me the questions. 
I'm going to have the people here on our tour group ask the prophecy question. I'll repeat the question and then we'll have an opportunity to try to answer it from the Word of God. Hey, uh, it's great to have an opportunity to spend some time with you. I'm sorry we got here late. We were trying to get into the country and uh, had some delays coming in. We're able to join the tour group a couple of days late. But we want to spend some time right now answering some of your prophecy questions. You've had the opportunity to tour with Jim and Jill, and uh, we just would think maybe you might have a question or two. So who would like to ask a question? And I'll repeat it and we see if we can give you an answer. Okay, his question is about the Battle of Gog and Magog, Ezekiel chapter 38. And his statement was he understood that it had something to do with the destruction of the Islamic countries. When you go to Ezekiel chapter 38, there's a list of nations that will form a coalition to come against the Jewish state of Israel soon after the rapture of the church, and I do believe probably in the first six months of the tribulation period. There are other parallel passages that you have to bring to the table. For example, you need to bring Psalm 83 into your understanding when you talk about Ezekiel 38, and Daniel chapter 11, starting in verses 40 through 45. Those other passages of Scripture give us the entire spectrum of all of those who are going to be involved in that battle of Gog and Magog. Now let me just tell you who the alignment of nations will be. In the book of Daniel, chapter 11, in verse 40, it talks about the king of the north and the king of the south. Early on in chapter 11, it defines the king of the north as modern-day Syria and the king of the south as modern-day Egypt. When you come to verse 43 in Daniel chapter 11, it mentions Libya. And so the first three nations to make a move against Israel to destroy the Jewish state will be Syria, Egypt, and Libya. Everybody recognizes that they certainly are on the radar screen and doing very much in preparation to attack the Jewish state. When you bring over Ezekiel 38 into the uh, spectrum of nations that will come against Israel. You have to have in verse 2 Magog, which would be modern-day Russia. And then in verse uh, 2 also Meshach and Tubal, verse 6 Gomer and Tagarma. And those would be the grandsons of Noah when you go back to the book of Genesis chapter 10. You have the three sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Jepheth. And what happened 4,500 years ago after the flood those boys would grow up, raise a family, teach them a new language, and then take them to a piece of real estate because in chapter 9, verse 1 of Genesis, the Lord met with Noah and told Noah and his sons to be fruitful, multiply, and repeople the earth. Remember, there were only eight people after the worldwide flood left on this earth. Well, they were obedient. Chapter 10 of Genesis talks of their obedience. And the sons of Jepheth were Magog, Meshach, Tubal, Gomer, and Tagarma. Now we know where those boys went. And verse 5 says they went there to establish a nation. The beginning of all nations take place after the flood, Genesis chapter 10. Magog went north of the Caspian and Black Sea. Biblical geography tells us that Magog went up north of the Caspian and Black Sea, which would be into the area of Russia. Meshach, Tubal, Gomer, and Tagarma went south of the Caspian and Black Sea. And you can pick up any biblical map of Asia Minor at the time of Paul's journeys and Peter's travels and missionary activity. 
And you'll see that at that time, Asia Minor was divided into four parts, Meshach, Tubal, Gomer, and Tagarma. So that's modern day Turkey. When you come down then and you look at Ham, and he had some sons as well, and they were Cush, Put, and Mizoram. Now, Cush is what we know as Ethiopia, Somalia, and Sudan. Put is modern day Libya, and Mizoram is modern day Egypt. And so these nations, by the way, I just mentioned some Arab nations, and that gives us the evidence that Abraham didn't father the Arab people because Abraham is not born for 262 years later after these men came uh, into existence. And so you have Ethiopia, Somalia, Sudan, uh, you have Mizoram, which is Egypt, you have Put, which is Libya. These nations were already in place before Abraham and our Ishmael ever came on the scene. And that's another group of nations that will be involved in this attack against the Jewish state. You have then when you go to Psalm 83, you have the Ishmaelites and Ishmael did go to a place to live and father one nation. Genesis chapter 17 verse 20, the Lord tells Abraham that he would father one nation. Genesis 25:18 says he went to a geographical location described as Arabia, which is modern day Arabia. And so when you read in Psalm 83 verse 6, the Ishmaelites, that's Saudi Arabia, and then in verse 7, it talks about Tyre, and that's modern-day Lebanon. And so I've mentioned the spectrum of nations that are going to come against Israel, uh, and we'll do that in the first six months of the tribulation period. And the reason I make that statement is, in chapter 38 of Ezekiel, verse 8, it talks about when the Jews are dwelling safely in the land. In verse 11, it says, and it's a military terminology, that uh, they are living in unwalled villages. When Ezekiel wrote the book 2,500 years ago, he didn't know about Mark the tanks, the most sophisticated tank in the world. As you people have traveled across the land of Israel, you've seen them out there in the fields in the exercises that the military are performing. Uh, he didn't know anything about F-16s, Apache helicopters. He knew that the Jewish people would put a wall around their city to protect themselves. That was their defense against the enemy. And so Ezekiel says when they're living in unwalled villages, meaning they've let their military go to rest and they're thinking that they're living in a safe location. Well, that's going to happen when the Antichrist confirms a peace treaty, Daniel 9, 27. The Jews believe, because they're blinded, they believe that the Messiah has come, he's established peace, so they lay their weapons down. And that's when these nations attack, and that'll happen. Actually, the confirmation of that peace treaty starts the clock ticking on the seven-year tribulation period, and that happens to start the seven years off. In that first six months, they're going to attack. When you go to the book of Ezekiel, chapter 39, in the King James translation in verse 2, it says five out of every six of those nations and the enemy and the military are going to be wiped out. If you don't want to accept the King James translation, just keep reading through verse 6, and it says these enemies attacking will be destroyed, their nations back home will be destroyed. And the lowest common denominator in all those nations would be the Islamic world. We're talking about the Arab and Islamic world. By the way, is there a difference between Arab and Islamic? There are 23 nations that are Arab nations. They speak the Arabic language and they're Islamic. And then there are other nations that are not Arab nations, they are just Islamic nations, like Turkey. It does not speak Arabic. 
uh, Iran, Afghanistan, Pakistan, Indonesia. They don't speak Arabic, but they are Islamic in their religion. And so that's the difference between those two. They're going to be totally rendered inoperative, and that has to happen for God's scenario to unfold because chapter 17 of the book of Revelation says that the Antichrist will go to the city of Rome, Italy, and set up a worldwide false religion, a mother-son cult, which will be in play for the first three and a half years of the tribulation period before the revived Roman Empire destroys them. That's chapter 17, verses 16 and 17, where it says God put into the hearts of world leaders to accomplish his will. So that has to happen in the first six months, and it does render the Islamic world inoperative. Thus, those out there propagating the fact that the Antichrist is going to be a Muslim have not studied the scriptures, and that the one world religion will be Islam, they haven't studied the scriptures. And so that should take care of that. Another question? Yes, sir. His question is how long of a time period between the rapture of the church and the beginning of the tribulation period? The Bible is silent on that. We do not know. I think it's going to be, this is sanctified speculation. I think it's going to be a very short period of time. There are three things that have to happen after the rapture of the church. Uh, the appearance of the ten horns in Daniel chapter 7, verse 7, which is verses 23 and 24 define or interpret to be the revived Roman Empire. That has to come in place. And then Daniel 7, 8, the little horn, one of the 27 names for the Antichrist, must come out of those ten horns. And then he has to confirm a peace treaty, Daniel 9, 27, where it says, And he, the Antichrist, shall confirm a covenant, a treaty, with many, the Jewish people and her neighbors, for one week, and that's the seven-year period of time. So there has to be three things to happen. The revived Roman Empire must come into position. It's, I think, its infrastructure at least, which I believe is the European Union is in place. The Antichrist has to come out of the revived Roman Empire, meaning he will be a Gentile, and he will be a living male figure today who's alive today and will be energized by Satan. He will receive his power and his seat of authority, according to Revelation chapter 13, verses 2 and 3, from Satan himself. He'll be energized by Satan, and then he has to confirm that peace treaty with the Jewish people and her neighbors. It doesn't say sign a peace treaty. It says confirm a peace treaty. The word in Hebrew is gabar, G-A-B-A-R. For confirm, it's never been translated sign. It's always translated to confirm, strengthen, or make stronger. Now, there are already three peace treaties on the table. You have the Camp David Accord, signed in 1979 between Israel and Egypt. You have the Oslo Accord, signed in 1993 between the Palestinians, Yasser Arafat and Yitzhak Rabin, Prime Minister of Israel. And you have the Israeli-Jordanian Peace Treaty, signed in October the 26th, 1994. And all of these treaties are on the table, really never been normalized. In fact, do I have to explain, you've been here in the land for a number of days, that the Palestinian-Israeli treaty is not working. Uh, the Egyptians, with the new leadership from the Muslim Brotherhood, Mohammed Morsi as president, probably going to negate that treaty. And you have King Abdullah of Jordan making the statement uh, that the country of Jordan was far better off before they signed a peace treaty, which King Hussein, uh, Abdullah's dad, 
He said the Jordanians are probably far better off before they signed the peace treaty uh, than they are today. So those are all treaties on the table, not working, never been normalized, waiting for somebody to come along and uh, confirm that peace treaty. So the stage is set for all of those things to happen, but they have to happen after the rapture of the church and before the seven-year tribulation. How long will it take? Looks to me with all the structure in place, it could be very quickly. I don't think it'll be more than a couple of years. I think it could be as little as six months. Well, that's all the time that we have for Prophecy Q&A here on Prophecy Today. This was a great opportunity to be in Jerusalem with a tour group and answering their prophecy questions. By the way, you can do the exact same thing. You can ask your prophecy question on a tour to Israel. Love to have you come and go with us. Jim and I and all of us that prophecy today would love to walk through the land of the Bible with you. Coming into Israel is like uh, going into a stage where the actors have recently departed, but all the props are still in place. You see Israel past, touch Israel present, visualize Israel future. So if you're interested, go to our website, prophecytoday.com, and find out all the information about our spring tour upcoming right here to the land of Israel and then over to Jordan to Petra. We're going to take a break. When we come back, I'll take a look at the book right here on Prophecy Today. In today's world, a biblical worldview and a proper understanding of biblical prophecy should be a priority. At a time when many false doctrines are entering the church at a frightening pace, we must be able to rightly divide God's Word in order to live a pure and productive life for Him. If you would like an in-depth understanding of biblical prophecy, let me challenge you to consider Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's School of Prophets. The School of Prophets is an online study for the layman or student pursuing a master's or doctorate degree. Dr. DeYoung's online study program will allow you to develop a timeline of biblical prophecies of the past as well as future prophecies yet to be fulfilled. Your personal study of God's Word will only be enhanced by Dr. DeYoung's School of Prophets and your life will be changed as you better understand, like Daniel, where you fit into God's calendar of events. If you're interested in developing a deeper understanding of God's prophetic Word, let me personally invite you to become involved in Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's School of Prophets. Call today at 8-PROPHECY-8. That's 877-674-3298. Or visit us at schoolofprophets.org. The book of Revelation is God's final word to man and the timeline of the last days revealed to the Christians. This symbolism-filled example of apocalyptic literature can be difficult to understand, especially when simply reading it from beginning to end. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest book, Revelation, A Chronology, takes a walk through the prophetic book of Revelation in the order that the events will take place, chronologically, sharing insights into its true meaning and doing so in an easy-to-understand and practical way. If you have difficulty understanding the book of Revelation, get your copy of Revelation, A Chronology, and let Dr. Jimmy DeYoung aid you in your understanding of this profound end-times prophecy book that God has preserved in His scriptures for Christians in the last days. To order your copy of Jimmy DeYoung's Revelation, A Chronology, call us toll-free at 877-674-3298 or visit our website at prophecytoday.com. It's time right now here on Prophecy Today for us to take a look at the book. On Prophecy Today weekend from here in Jerusalem, a touch of the future, since we'll rule and reign with Jesus Christ during the 1,000-year kingdom period that will be in the future. More on that in just a moment. 
Also, we had our broadcast partners with reports from the Middle East, from England, Washington, D.C., and Virginia. Ken Timmerman reported on geopolitical activities for us. Ken talked about Iran sanctions have failed, according to a recent report put out by the United States government. And we also talked about long-range drones that could carry a bomb. Iran says they have put a number of drones into Israeli airspace. That report coming out of Washington with Ken Timmerman. David Dolan gave us our Middle East news update, and we talked about a major United States-Israeli missile defense drill taking place here in Israel. It begins next week, but this is a major show to the entire world how the United States and Israel are standing together. Dr. Elwood McQuaid, he is the editor of Israel My Glory, a fantastic magazine that is published by Friends of Israel. And Dr. McQuaid talked about the idea that there is a call for holy war here in the Middle East. He has an article in the Jerusalem Post entitled, Will Somebody Say Holy War? That is a very important conversation that you ought to re-listen to. But that's what we had to say when we were talking with Elwood, some very important details that need to be discussed, and you need to listen to them. Dr. Rob Congdon gave us a European Union update, and he said that the European Union is concerned about Iran, but secondly, they're concerned about the United States presidential elections. So he gave us that information, helping us to understand how everything in that part of the world where he was, the British Isles this week, uh, is going on and how we need to be aware of what their thinking is when we understand current events that are happening in our world. Well, it's a joy always to travel in this area of the world, the Middle East, the Bible lands. It'll help you to understand the Bible much, much better. It makes the Bible become not only a black and white book, but a technicolor book, and it gives you the smells, the sounds, the sights that you'll remember forever. I want to focus on this time here on Prophecy Today as we take a look at the book on Jerusalem itself. I'm here. I'm overlooking the Temple Mount from where I am seated in my hotel room doing this broadcast. Also, I can see the Mount of Olives. That's where Jesus Christ ascended into the heavenlies, and he is coming back to that same location. I was walking there this afternoon. We're doing a production of a new documentary on the revived Roman Empire and also on Revelation chapter 17 and how religion plays into the revival of the old Roman Empire. But it was from this location where uh, the Roman soldiers destroyed the temple just exactly like Jesus said they would. Well, let's think about Jerusalem just for a few moments, the past, the present, and the prophetic. When you think about the past, you have to go back to Second Samuel chapter 5. Second Samuel 5 is a record of King David becoming king of all 12 tribes of Israel. Now, the first seven years of his kingship was in Hebron, and he only was the king of his tribe of Judah. But when the other 11 tribal leaders asked him to take charge of all of the 12 tribes and become king of Israel, he had to have a neutral place. So he selected a Jebusite stronghold between the land of Benjamin, that particular Jewish tribe, and the Jewish tribe that David came from, the land of Judah. 
Uh, this Jebusite stronghold was Jerusalem, and Jerusalem was selected by King David to be the political capital of the Jewish people. Now, that was 3,000 years ago. After he made it the political capital, he wanted to make it the spiritual capital as well. That's found in 2 Samuel chapter 6. And King David went and brought the Ark of the Covenant up to the city of David. There he built a tabernacle, a temporary worship center, put the Ark of the Covenant there until his son, King Solomon, would build the temple on Mount Moriah, the Temple Mount, and take the Ark of the Covenant and put it in the Holy of Holies. This is going to be the Jewish capital spiritually and politically forever. That's the Davidic covenant found in 2 Samuel chapter 7. And though God did not allow King David to build the temple, he allowed his son to receive the first installment of the Davidic covenant. He did promise King David and his descendants that one of them, of course, that's Jesus Christ, would build a temple in Jerusalem and rule and reign from that temple. Now, that's the past. What about the present? Here in Jerusalem, there's about 700,000 Jews living here, and they're from all around the world. I said just a moment ago, 3,000 years ago, King David made it the political capital of the Jewish people, and for sure, it is the capital of the state of Israel. When you think about the city of David, which is Jerusalem, that's what Jesus called it. That's what also King David called it. But it's either Jerusalem, Zion, or the city of David. Those terms are synonymous. But when you think about the city, there are Arabs, Christians, secular Jews, Orthodox Jews, all living here and all from different parts of the entire world. This is a world-class city, and it's a city that has world-class museums. For example, the Shrine of the Book, where they have the remains, the scrolls that were found down at the Dead Sea. Very, very interesting place to be. Well, the old city has the Temple Mount where Jesus Christ will rule and reign from. It's the most sacred piece of real estate in all of the Jewish world. But prophetically, Zechariah chapter 12 and verse 2 says it will be a city of controversy. Remember I said the Davidic covenant says it will be the location where Jesus as king of the Jews will build a temple and rule and reign from that temple among the Jewish people forever. But first, Zechariah 12 2 says it will be a city of controversy. Jesus Christ will return. He will build that temple. But first, Zechariah 12 2 says it will be a city of controversy. The Lord will dwell among his people from Jerusalem, Psalm 132, verses 13 and 14. But remember, first, Zechariah 12, 2, Jerusalem will be a city of controversy. It has been, it is today, and it will be in the future until Jesus Christ comes back. That's the city of Jerusalem, some of the past, the present, and the prophetic that will take place or has taken place or is taking place today. But remember, before all of the prophecies pertaining to the city of Jerusalem for the future are fulfilled, the rapture of the church takes place. And you know everything we've said on the broadcast today indicates that that rapture can happen at any moment. And having said that, nothing left for me to say, except let's keep looking up until... Join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today. 